Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name's Ara. And uh, so this is episode 533. I've, I've been in Denver for a good week, spent a lot of time painting and preparing to paint. And uh, again, the only game I've been playing, I've, I've been able to sneak this in, is some more Titanfall, which is consistently updating and adding new features that I don't, I don't even know when they happen. They just sort of happen in the background, and then I find them when I play. Does it, does and, it get better every time? Do you like these features? Um, sort of. I didn't read through the change list for the last one. The only one I noticed was, like, on your mini-map, if there's people you're in a lobby with. Because, like, it's six on six, right? So you can be in a lobby with up to six people. Or let me rephrase that. You can be in a, an Xbox party with uh, up to a total of six people and then all be playing this game, right? And uh, let's say you only have three people. So, like, Ara, you and I are on Xbox Live and, and maybe our friend Johnny, right? And we're all in a party and we're playing it, uh, playing Titanfall on the same team because that's how you do it. Uh, and then there's three other people who are just three weirdos who were randomly selected to be on our team. On the mini-map, you and Johnny would appear green to me as opposed to the standard blue, which I guess is some your sort friends. of... Yeah, some sort of interesting information. But... Um, I mean, it's not just that they're your friends. It's also so like when you're speaking, when you're when you're talking to people, right? They're the only ones who can hear you, not the rest of your team. So if you know that your friend is nearby, you could be like, "Hey, like, there's someone on my back," because people right, can get right. on your Titan falls on your Titan's back and like shoot them off my back or whatever. So if you know that your friends are nearby, it could be helpful. But so, yeah, it's not a huge thing. But what's interesting to me, or, or what like I've I've come to realize, is that this is very much like a game in motion. The game is is constantly being updated, and given my reluctance to play PC games in the past and recent past, um, this concept is pretty foreign to me. And I've always said how much like I hate the fact that we've gone to this world of you know constant updates and whatever. Um, but I guess that's happening more and more. I mean, so much so that today there's also an update releasing for the Xbox One. And I keep real. I realize that like every month, there's a new update to change the operating system, to change the game I'm playing. Um, yeah, well, they have to finish uh, what they started. Yeah. So, so basically, we're constantly which we're buying will never lots happen of, anyway. We're buying lots of things that aren't finished. Yeah. And that feels really strange to me because like, so I, I think of life as like you're a kid and you learn all sorts of stuff. And you make all sorts of crappy drawings that your parents hang on the walls, but that in real life, people will be like, why the hell do you have that thing on your wall? Uh, and then you grow up and maybe you become an artist and maybe you make a real painting that your parents then hang on the wall and people are like, oh, that's amazing. Where can I get one? Or where did you get that thing? Right. And so you, you go from learning and apprenticing and making crap to doing things right. Now you're an adult and you keep people informed about things you make products that matter and that are useful and that are finished and now we're in this world where nothing is finished where not only are are we getting and using these products but we're paying for them and they continually change and i mean maybe a piece of software is one thing but an entire xbox that like i paid 500 dollars for for that to continue changing like I guess, I mean, I'm already used to it, right? It's been happening on the 360, but it was always like, it was features. It wasn't bug fixes. It wasn't, hey, we're going to make your headset work because it didn't used to work. We're going to add this glaring fault, right? Like you couldn't use your Blu-ray player if you were in England on an old TV. Uh, stuff like that just, it's weird that we're being sold products now that that simply matter-of-factly are not finished. Well, you and, know, um, you know why we're. I mean, you know why all this is happening, don't you? I, I mean, I can just say because people run out of time and never finish what they're doing. Well, I th- I think that this is a kind of a special case because I think what's happening now is that the software is really becoming so complicated, and the kinds of things that we're implementing with these things are becoming so just they just take a long time to do and they take a lot of staff to do it and they're very complicated at the same time and it is definitely i mean right compare this with even just the PlayStation days and i mean what we're playing now 
and I'm not talking about graphics. I'm just talking about the complexity of the systems we're interacting with now makes the PlayStation seem like an Atari 2600. And so there's that problem. And then there's the other problem with, I think this is like the collision of like three or more problems at once. So there's that one. And then there's the other problem of the fact that there's like things take so long to make that if, and especially now, right, that if you really released it monolithically, then at least from the economist's point of view, you're actually giving up a lot of time that you could have spent selling. Um, but then ultimately, there's the other issue where it's like, okay, well, salaries in the game industry are like at a certain amount. And for one reason or another, that's how they've turned out to be. And um, there's, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now. But there's there's this huge offset between what basically the leaders of a company make versus most of the people doing the work. And I don't, I don't think this is the conventional, like, oh, the rich getting richer type of situation. I think that it's like a weird situation where um, basically the people calling the shots have um, been able to maximize their leverage and the people doing the work have uh, been unable to maximize hardly any leverage. And I think that all this stuff is kind of a side effect of that, too. Well, I want thing, things that are finished. Yeah, like here's the thing, right? The the execs now have ultimate leverage in this economy. And so, right, whereas a craftsperson would care about letting a product loose before it was actually craftworthy, the the people who have the power in this dynamic, right, they don't care about anything. Like if it works – in terms of making money, then we do it. And so it's now all a game of, uh, well, how much, how much can we jack around the consumer? And they've been, this game has been played for the past decade or more. So you started off saying that it was due to the complexity of, of what, what it is that people are building, right? Yeah, that, over that's time, a part of it for sure. Over time, complexity has increased. And I don't know if things are going to simplify with better tools or, or what over time, but they seem to be continuously continuously becoming more complex. So then, like, what happens with our next generation of games? Are we just – are we not going to be able to build games anymore? We, meaning well, people I think, who aren't me? I think that if they continue to become more complex in the ways that they are, then I think that what's happening now is just going to get worse and worse. Because one of, one of the problems is that the, you know, generic Acme game company doesn't feel like – they can actually make money if they release a game with like it's, it's like the the all the factors don't line up you know it's like anytime you sell something you have to make it first and then you have to sell it right but if it costs you if like all the resources that it costs you to make it in the first place uh are way more than you could ever make by selling it right then that economy does not exist. So I think that these are like the game industry is trying ways to keep their margins as big as possible. And this seems to be the fallout from it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not that bad. Things still work. And, and there's well, that's a, the thing, right? Too. Like we're getting into like this weird thing where it's like as consumers, we're like, yeah, well, it looks really good. And, and, you know, I guess it still works acceptably. So uh, we'll just keep buying it anyway. Like it's gotten to that point. Uh, yeah, and, and of course the benefit is is that people can continually make changes and make things better if they made a bad bad decision. But it, this just seems to be going further than that. And uh, I mean, I wonder what's going to happen around the corner. You know, when, yeah, when the next but, thing rolls around, and is it going to take twenty years for them to make another console or something? Well, one thing is for sure, uh, it seems to me anyway, that this whole game as a service paradigm is here to stay because you can. I mean, it's it's at least for the developer, it's the best of all worlds because you can just dynamically change your product according to 
what people are saying about it or what your analytics say about it or how you're analyzing it personally or whatever. So this is your experience of uh, Titanfall as like a game as a continuously supported service versus like a monolithic release. But that yeah. that actually brings up something uh, I wanted to bring up anyway today, which was this is this is so weird to me. Um, remember Terraria? Sort of. It was kind of like a the the two D craft whatever Minecraft thing. Yeah. Um, so that's basically it in a nutshell. Now I bought this game on XBLA um, before uh, right around the time when it was converting from a graveyard to a wasteland. And uh, I played it for a while, and I, I don't know, I think I paid like 10, 15 bucks for it or something. And anyway, like I, I consumed the content, right? And then I put it aside. And then I'm reading articles today, and then I find this article where it's like, oh, on the consoles, there's a new update that just came out in Terraria, and it's, it, it's gigantic. It's like, um, I mean, I just skimmed the four or five screens full of notes about what was changed, but it really looked like they're, they were, like, doubling the content of the game, if not more. There's, like, a hundred new enemies. There's, like, all this crazy stuff. And so this is really interesting proposition from it because it's like, wait a minute. Uh, I bought the game already, so I can just turn on my Xbox and download the update, and it's like I got a new game for free. So that I've not yet experienced until today. Uh, so, I mean... How, how did you feel about it after you downloaded the update? Well, I didn't. I, this, oh. is, that's, this is the fantasy part of my <laughs> Oh, you thought thing. to yourself, I could. I could download and get a new thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's that, that thing. All right. Well, with that, I'm going to call the break, and, uh, and we'll have more stuff to talk about in just a minute, including my, my musical capabilities. We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. It's Chatterbox, video game radio, ice and fire edition, broadcast in two extreme locales at the same time. Fire and ice or ice and fire? That one of them, and both at the same time. Have you been watching New Girl? No, I've never heard of that. New Girl, you should watch because it's a fantastic program, but it had a, there was a bit on one of the shows, Fire and Ice. Yeah, why is it always Fire and Ice? Why can't it be Ice and Fire sometimes? I don't know. But if you're a New Girl fan and you haven't seen that episode, uh, you should figure out what it is and watch it. And you, sir, should just go watch it because it's the whole. I mean, everything's funny. The whole show is funny. All right, but let's let's move on. <laughs> I guess past New Girl. <clears throat> you have so many things on your list today. Yeah, let's uh, talk about this letter we got, which is actually a couple weeks old. So, really? Um, yeah, because I check my Chatterbox email once every couple weeks. Okay. No wonder you don't get my letters. That's um, another reason. Yeah. So I don't remember exactly how I verbalized it on this show where we were talking about music or – I mean we were talking about the game coming from harmonics where like you shoot on the – you can shoot on like the upbeat and whatever. Right. And I was trying to explain and, to you what the upbeat was. And I'm always ever confused about that stuff. Uh, and yeah. then this character um, – this listener, Nick, from Spokane, uh, was kind enough to write us, and um, I don't know. I thought he was schooling us, but um, – No, either, either I described it poorly because it's – you know, when like – it was sort of a side topic where I'm just sort of talking to you, saying I might have said in the middle of a measure or whatever, but I meant in between beats. 
So if you have a four-beat thing, four-beat uh, measure, then in between each of those beats would be the upbeat. As, as he explained quite appropriately, it's like when the conductor has the baton up, you know, in between as he's, as he's pouncing the, the baton downwards, which is the downbeat, up is in the middle. So anyway, I knew that. Wait, but he and, says that the upbeat is the beat just before the downbeat. So it's not in the middle of any beats. It's just... Well, the beat before the downbeat is also immediately after the previous downbeat. It is consistently yeah, beat, 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 I beat, guess. or beat up, down, beat up. Well, anyway, you get it. I'm just... Anyway, thank you. The next thing he's going to school us on, by the way, is how to pronounce Spokane. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know I always choose uh, more interesting ways to say things. Yeah, of course. Um, but I'm still confused because I don't know. How do you decide – how does the conductor decide which one is up and which one is down? What's the authoritative source? I mean do you start on an oh, upbeat? Da- no, the down – like the beginning of the measure is a beat. The end okay. of the measure is a beat. When, okay. when people are going one, two, three, four to start off a song, yeah. that's – that's those are the beats. The upbeat is not a real beat. It's the in the middle beat for when you have the eighth note, or you know if you're not a four four. Okay, so I'm yet more confused because that's what I thought he was saying, and I thought that you were correcting that, but um, no, that's what is he saying, and it's what I tried to say. It's just the time in between, halfway in between other beats. Okay, that's what the upbeat is. Um, let's just go on because uh, I will probably never have this adequate. Unless I'm totally wrong, but you know. Whatever. I never Because the way I attention. look at it is that look, you could if you decide the first beat is up, then maybe the next one's down. Or maybe no, you, no, no, the no, first no, no. one's down and the next one's no, up. Every, every beat when you refer to the beat of the music, every beat is down. Oh but my in gosh, between in starting, between those beats starting is to sound a period like of time. Particle physics now. No. In between beats is a time period. And if you cut it in half, so you go from like beats on every quarter to then having a bunch of eighth eighth notes then some of the eighths are hitting on the upbeat. But like, I'll take it can, your word for it. It can get a little crazy uh, depending I, – I don't – because I'm not the musical guy here. You can also – he may be saying that the upbeat does not necessarily have to sit right in the middle. But anyway, I'll let all the other people who know about music maybe yeah. write in and talk about this. Well, you know what's funny thing. is that – I mean I haven't done this in a long time and I don't want to like – I certainly do not want to claim to be any kind of virtuoso. But I kind of feel like a, an author who doesn't understand English grammar. It's Why? like because you, because you play keyboard mania a little bit? No. I've actually – I don't know if you ever heard any of the stuff I wrote. But I've – I've written some music, and I don't understand this upbeat downbeat. No, you are blowing my mind, sir. No, I have not heard anything that it's, you've written. Really, it's been well. I never brought it up because I never felt the need to, you know, impress you or get you into my pants. But um, it's been on my website for like ages. Wow. Yeah, there's some musical tracks up there. You can check out ours music written a long time ago. All right. Which yeah. uh, also has been done without any knowledge of upbeats or downbeats. Well, it does, doesn't need to. But okay, so what's what's your website? Is it arasharinian.net or like uh, sharinian.net? No, nah, just sharinian.net. My last Sharinian. name.net. All right. Well, I'm going to go check that out after the show. I have to hear yeah. this. And uh, any of the other guys can if you haven't already. But okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that was exciting. All right. So today is tax day and some things totally unrelated to tax taxes – Happened today. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for you to fill in the blank here. Oh, yes. Yeah, that exact thing that you're thinking of um, that uh, you're so skillfully prompting me about is Google Glass. Yeah. You, you too could be a glass hole. Which today. is – oh, that's – I haven't heard that yet. That's such a good word. I, I didn't make that up. That was someone – some other author. It's so appropriate because <laughs> – I haven't yet met somebody wearing the Google Glass, but I will immediately – I don't like this thing, OK? Uh, by the way, the, the, the reason why we're talking about it is that apparently today you can actually buy it for real now. Yeah, but by the time you hear this, it's too late if you didn't already know. But April 15th, Google opened it up so that anybody, not just like certain developers or something, would have access to buy for the same $1,500 – 
but you would have yeah. access to buy it today. Yeah. Now, um, we have a video game angle on this, but before we get to that, I have to express um, how incensed I am at the prospect of people wearing these just in everyday life simply because of the recording aspect. And I'm, I'm also fully aware that Google apparently is already uh, developing contact lenses that can do the same thing so that you will not even have anything recognizable on your person and be able to record somebody against their will. So I, I've read about some special contact lenses, but I, I doubt that they're going to be able to make something anytime soon. Well, that's probably farther like that. along the line, right? Because, yeah. like, what would it have to do? It'd have to be, like, uh, it'd have to have a camera that's really tiny. It'd have to have a storage device. It'd have to, like, Bluetooth itself out of you. I mean, I guess we have that. Well, it wouldn't need storage because it could transmit it to something else that stores it. Well, no, but I mean, like, temporarily it would at least need some kind of storage. Yeah, some sort of buffer. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, it's a lot of yeah, stuff not... to put in a contact lens. More importantly, it would need electricity, which would potentially be transmitted through something else but yeah anyway okay. yeah that's the problem for um the episode that we air 10 years down the line so so you don't like google glass uh you know it's actually it's gaining some amount of like popularity or validity i should say in certain areas like surgery and and other fields where it's actually useful like that sounds like a fantastic application yeah uh, i've I've seen but one guy out wearing in public them in doesn't. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, people wear cameras all the time. Yeah, but the thing is, right, is that, like, you know, when people use cameras, it's very obvious what they're pointing at. I mean, I guess, but people wear GoPros. It's the same thing. You can yeah, see but that they it's don't, on them. Yeah, but they don't do that in the bar when you're just going to get a drink. You know, they don't do that in, like, high social interaction situations. And I think that that's the worst part about this device. I guess. Okay, so you're a hater. It's a big deal. Now now tell me about video games and Google Glass. Well, there's actually, they're, they're trying to develop video games on this thing. And I don't know how they're going to do it exactly. Um, but there are, I, I know of people who have been hired by Google to work on games for Google Glass. And so this would be kind of a fun thing for us to um, think about how that could be or how ridiculous that could be. Well, let's just speculate for a minute, right? So what is what is Google Glass? It is essentially a recording device and a personal display device. I mean, it, yeah. it doesn't really do anything else. Everything is basically controlled by your phone anyway. Um, so well, yeah, let me what, go. Let me go over the inputs because uh, this is the this is. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could play some game. I guess I'm sure you could invent some games that will work. But uh, I feel like the the kind of input choices you have make things very unwieldy. So, like, here are your inputs, right? Um, you can use voice command. You can um, tilt your head to do something, and you can also. Put your finger uh, somewhere on a trackpad that is like basically on the Google Glass eyeglass thing somewhere on the side of your head. And really, the only way that you have any kind of fine control is that way. And that's 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 kind of this is not the game. This is not something that you're going to play traditional games on. Yeah, but I, you know, I've always liked the idea of the game for your like, you know the. The New York City Pac-Man, right? Where you're well, walking. Well, yeah, around. I mean, like uh, st augmented reality stuff are really natural for this because, uh, well, it's right, it's like right in front of your face. So, I mean, do you have any ideas? Anything that you've thought of? I mean, have you spent any time trying to think of how to make a legitimate Google Glass game, something that might actually be fun? Um, well, I've spent about uh, four minutes so far, and I can't yeah. think of anything really good. I don't know, have you been watching now? Of course, you haven't been watching the, um, like the Avengers TV show, whatever it's called. I can't even remember what it's called now. Shield, Shield is what it's called. All right. So, so I'm gonna guess no. Um, there's there's characters in this game that like 
have something implanted in their head, and so they sort of see text from someone else who's communicating with them. Do we and want I'm to save to... for the next one? Uh, for the next segment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll be right back. Right, so we're back, and before the break, I was trying to finish a thought relating Google Glass to Shield, and uh, I imagine some of our listeners have been watching the show. I haven't actually seen the last couple episodes, but um, there are some people in the show who are, like, controlled, not really directly controlled, but indirectly controlled by this dude or character that they don't... Um, they haven't really shown on screen before. So like it'll communicate with these characters with text, but they only see them because they have some implant in their eyeball or something. Um, so they see the text and it, it tells them what to do. Uh, so it's like, you know, go here, do this, kill this person, whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about that, that that could somehow be a game, not the whole going there and killing somebody bit, but like yeah. Google Glass. Getting instructions part? Yeah, well, I could get instructions or I could get information through text. I mean, you could get information in a number of ways, right? Um, I imagine you could also hook up headphones and, you know, to your phone and get stuff as well, um, which could be, you know, sort of a, a part of the whole uh, environment of the game. But that that would be interesting if it's got text to try to I don't know, like a, a citywide tag game or... Well, here's here's the problem with all of these things is that... And this is my main worry about this device is that you just... You don't have fine granular control. I mean, when you do, it's your fingers on the trackpad. And, I mean, that's just unwieldy in and of itself. I didn't even know the thing had a trackpad. Yeah. Yeah, it can't... Uh, I don't think it can tell... Like where your retina is looking at or your iris, I guess. So for fine controls, you have to resort to your finger on this tiny little trackpad on the side of your head, basically. And this is the problem that I've had with pretty much any kind of augmented VR game for the most part that's been out is that the technology is very sexy, but the interface does not allow for a lot of sophisticated, precise interaction. And notice also that this is similar to the kinds of problems that the Kinect has. Anytime you have a system where your way of interacting with it uh, is, for whatever reason, not fine and precise, you're going to have these kinds of problems with making good games. Well, yeah, but so they they design around it. I mean, sometimes they design poorly, like in that joyride game where you could just stand there, not do anything and still get first place or yeah. finish or whatever. So actually like the, we had the same issue too. Like you have to d- design around it. Right. But the problem is, is that uh, sometimes your domain of what interface uh, grammar to work with that you have, sometimes that domain gets so narrow that um, And I think that you can probably appreciate this on the Wii, right? Like they had a lot of the same types of games over and over, right? Yeah. And yeah, and it's because the, the domain set of what you can get out of those inputs and outputs is actually not that big of things that work as a game. So I'm really afraid for that for, for the Google stuff. Yeah, and when I say design around it, of course, I'm talking about designing games that don't require that sort of fine-tuning rather than yeah, exa- yeah, precisely. building it in such a way where it pretends that you, that you do have fine control when you don't. Yeah, um, but man, you know what? I would, it's so funny to me because I, I think in a lot of ways it's um, – like, you don't have a lot of room to research in. Like, it's not a big field, it seems like. You don't have a lot of uh, space to explore because you're so limited by the inputs and outputs. But, man, the guy who scored that job at Google, 
I'm sure he is loving that job. What do you mean, making a game? Um, just figuring out how you could possibly make a game with Google Glass. I'm sure he's getting a fantastic six-figure salary, and I'm sure he gets to work in a space where, like, um, yeah, just, like, figure out what you can do with this, and um, if we find out three years later that uh, nothing that good, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I bet given some time we could come up with something fun, but I wonder if, if I could come up with anything fun that is not just this massively multiplayer thing where people are choosing to to play this game together simultaneously um which which is difficult enough in itself right just getting people together to do something yeah um, i'm sh- i'm sure that you could make you could figure out a way to f- make a fun game with google glass what i'm not sure of is um and i i'm only not more confident because i've spent all of now like 12 minutes thinking about this is that you can't um Oh, Christ. All right, I lost it. Anyway, go ahead. I just – I think there are possibilities, but but definitely they're limited. And and what we were just talking about a second ago about the, the fine control of all these things and you're comparing it to the Wii, it, it yeah. makes me realize, again, like I've talked about the PlayStation Move and how it had a huge potential and how I've been sort of dreaming of that potential since they first showed the – like the video camera for the PS2 10 years ago or something. Right. Um, and I read an article recently about how, like, the reason the move went nowhere was because these, like, they were so disjointed at Sony years ago. They would say, like, all right, we're building the PlayStation 3, and some other team would be building the controller without talking to the people who were planning to make the games. And, like, one one day a few weeks before E3, when they were first showing the PlayStation 3, someone literally called from, like, another country and told someone else at Sony, hey, so we're putting in this six-axis uh, six axis control into the controller. You need to put together something to show that off by E3. So they had, like, <laughs> two weeks to put that together. And the point that they were making in this article was that and we've heard this already about the PS4, is that there's these like three major bodies at Sony that are now all talking to each other. There's like the hardware people and the people making games and then some third group, which is probably like executive decision makers or something, um, all working together to actually make something where, you know, basically the pieces fit. And, and I just, I bring this up because the PlayStation Move, specifically the Move controller, has all sorts of fine, like well-designed, uh, accurate input methods. And it got completely underutilized. It's so sad to me that the Wii became as popular as it did um, while it, it didn't have the hardware to support the things that people were imagining because it was the first one with motion controls, but it did motion controls poorly. Whereas right. Sony came around and did it really well, and nobody... They didn't care at all, right? No, yeah, but they cared. were like, um, I mean, they were like uh, more or less like third to market in a market that was already basically tired of that product, that type of product. Yeah, but, you know, the Move controller works on the PS4, and I haven't seen that it, there's anything that uses it yet, although there will be because Sports Friends is going to be on the PlayStation 4, and that's the thing that has Johann Sebastian Joust. Um, right, which incidentally does not need any peculiar technology like a PS4. Right, <laughs> it doesn't need the PS4 or the TV, but it needs the moves. Um, so anyway, uh, the PS4 does work with the move, and now that things are sort of working together between various teams, there's the suggestion through that article I was reading. I don't know that it's actually going to happen, but the suggestion that we might actually see some cool stuff coming out um, that use that controller. But I, I feel like it can't actually happen because nobody has it. Nobody owns that thing, and nobody is probably willing to buy it, except me because I have like seven of them. Um, but I'd really love to see it used in a real way because you can do so much with it um, just because it's so accurate. So anyway, yeah, it's, just- it's of a whole. Joust is an incredible idea, right? I mean, because like it's incredibly compelling, and there there isn't even any graphics. Yeah, have I told um, you about the the uh, Kickstarter update that I got just this week? I mean, it, people post about it on our, you know Kotaku's and Polygons. And why don't you tell me but about I, it? I mean, just that they're finally like they're done, um, sort of. So it's weird. I can't understand how they're. 
like they're building these milestones of development. They're like, all right, well, we're going to finish the PS3, PS4 version, and then we're going to work on getting the controls to work on, you know, Windows, Linux, and Mac. They, they've already got it working on Mac, but, like, they went into this whole process saying it was going to be delivered on all three computer out- operating systems, but not having any way to get the controller working in Windows. <laughs> they're just like, well, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll finish the game, and then we'll worry about it, making it actually work on your very popular Windows operating system, um, which is not a problem for me because I'm getting the console version. But it was kind of amazing to me. Like, what if you couldn't really find the answer? What if you couldn't get it connected without having to totally mess with some weird libraries or, you know, get Microsoft on board or something? I, I don't know. I don't well, know they did, didn't they? Uh, no, because they, what they announced was, all right, we're done with the PS3, PS4 version. We're going to release. And, and since we can't, we want to release them all at once, but since we can't, we'll get PC version people some betas to play at the same time and oh, okay. uh, you know then we'll get the final product later when we can polish those up. Well, um, maybe they were just uh, way too optimistic. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's already like six months or five months past anticipated release, which, whatever. Like, I expected it. But um, it's, it's yeah. weird that, I mean, they got on board for Sony's systems, which is kind of the point from the get-go, and I'm super excited to play these games, the ones that aren't even Johan Sebastian Joust. Uh, but it's weird how they decided to do their development. And, I mean, maybe it's not weird, and it just seems weird to me because I'm an outsider. But, I mean, isn't that strange? You're, you're a developer, right? Like, it's a little weird to say, we're going to build this thing, and then at the very end, we're going to try to actually get it working on some of these OSs and see if we can do it in, like, a two-week time frame. Well, if there wasn't any hardware involved, then depending on what kind of tools they use, uh, it could be completely reasonable to say that. But if there's like, if they're, you know, interfacing with proprietary hardware, then they either know that hardware real good or they're real optimistic. And yeah, that does sound weird. Yeah. Well, and not something I would assume I'd be able to do, but. Point is, for me at least, it was sent to Sony to do all of their whatever TRS checks or T-something whatever checklist and uh it should be ready in in a couple weeks i think trc's tcrs whatever those are yeah yeah microsoft's Uh, got one sony's got the other exactly um so i'll be playing it soon and that'll that'll be fun especially the games that i haven't like we've got all these betas for the other games but they're all on windows and i don't really have a a good windows machine so i haven't been able to play them yet this will be my first time to play these other games which is i'm excited about it all right well when we come back, uh, we got some more uh, funny hardware to talk about. Yeah. It's going to be the Oculus, isn't it? We're going to talk about Oculus. You are so good, sir. Yeah. No, I knew. I knew that's what it was, partially because you told me already, but also because it's the only other big piece of hardware that people are talking about. Okay, um, fine. The illusion shattered. Anyway, we'll go to break, leave that, leave you in suspense, and be right back. Once again, it's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. You know, I haven't mentioned our Facebook page, but it's slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. You can find us there. Give us uh, things you want to talk about. Ask us questions, comment, whatever. You know how that works. Yeah. So I want to spend this last segment, or as however much of we of it as we can, talking about the Oculus Rift. We've talked about it a lot already, so I'm curious where you want to go with it. I know that they've announced some numbers recently, talking yeah, about how many a, they've sold. There's a couple of angles. I, I don't think that we've talked about um, the Facebook buyout, have we? Uh, I know that I've talked about it in various places. I don't know if we did it on the show. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it. The only thing I want to say about that aspect is that I just – it was so weird to me that people reacted negatively to it. And I guess some people were incensed that like, oh, it was since it was, I don't know, I guess some people have the expectation that I guess if it originally started from a Kickstarter that it would be somehow immoral or not cool to get uh, 
future sources of funding from other sources. I don't really get that logic, but I'm I th- I think that this is great. This this new um, world we're living in with um, internet uh, multi billionaires that um, uh, Zuckerberg's not thirty yet, is he? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. That are uh, that are just barely thirty years old. Um, and have this kind of reckless streak in them still so they can uh, just, you know, buy up whatever company they think is cool, you know, and not think twice about it. And I think this is great because that means that all of us little guys have a chance. Well, because we just need to think of something cool enough to come up with to develop that a multi-billionaire can get just personally interested in and he'll just, you know, throw a few billion your way. You, you think that he didn't give it a, a lot of thought and decide that it's actually good for the business? Well, what he, whether he did or not, uh, I mean, I'm being joking about it, but seriously, whether he did or not um, doesn't matter because it's obviously a speculative well, tactic. It's like this could be huge and it could have implications that are huge for his business. Um, but you know what? Like let's just dump a couple billion in it anyway and see what happens. Yeah, I mean like, I, it's not it's not a much of a it doesn't seem to be a much of a he doesn't have to ponder that decision very strongly. So and I think that's cool actually. Uh, before I say anything else, let me correct. In exactly one month from yesterday, Zuckerberg will be thirty. He's May 14th. There you go. Okay, 84. so yeah, so so now he's just a reckless teenager. <laughs> if 29 is teen. Um, but like <laughs> 30 is the new 20, so you know how that goes. But uh, what you were saying about people being upset, it's exactly what I was thinking too. Like people did get upset about it and I thought, you know, when you give money to a Kickstarter, it's because you want them to succeed. And you're, what you're doing is you're giving them that seed money to help get to the point that they're successful. And right. how much more successful can you get than being completely bought out for something in the billions of dollars range? Yeah, this is this is what I'm saying. I guess some people like honestly maybe really thought that Zuckerberg was like, I'm going to turn this into a Facebook-only interface. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Well, not to mention the fact that they couldn't do that. I mean, it's hardware you plug into your computer. You can do whatever you want with it, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very No, excited. he could do it. I mean, if he was crazy enough, they could do it. But, I mean, come on. Yeah. No, it, but, you know, they would never have, have done that. The whole point from the beginning was to make something accessible and and something that people could develop with. So from the very beginning, I've been a huge fan of this. Uh, Palmer Lucky was basically just the kid who decided to do it. I've been into virtual reality for years and years and years. And when this came about, I just thought, I didn't even realize that it was doing all the stuff that it does. I thought it was just like a screen for your face, like big deal. But once I realized that it it was basically trying to bring back virtual reality in a time when it was possible to do it properly, super excited Yeah. And uh, so, so the other angle that I'd like to talk about is I'm hearing a lot of opinions about this and it seems like there are two camps of pretty loud opinions. And one of them is that this is like a super revolutionary device that once you, you know, experience it, you're going to get it and that's like what you have to do to really buy into it. But, you know, so, all you need to do is spend some time with it and, you know, you'll see – how amazing it is. That but pisses me off because it's exactly yeah. the same stuff that existed 20 years ago. It's just faster. Uh, well, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that's a good way to put it. But there's another pretty loud group of people that seem to be saying that this isn't going to take off at all simply due to the fact that it's just too many people get motion sickness from something like this it's just too immersive you know i feel like that is this i've talked time and time again about how like i try to give people who haven't played video games uh you know give them uh, the chance to test out games that they haven't played like twin stick shooters or uh, or just any uh, first person shooter game where you use both sticks so like my wife she can't do that at all plenty of other people who don't play games a lot which 
in my experience, tends to be the women that I interact with. Uh, have no idea, can't can't even get their bearings in a game that uses uh, two analogs. But everyone else that I know, you know, who's grown up in this stuff and, and gradually built into these, uh, you know, games that use multiple inputs simultaneously, they have no problem with it. And I certainly have no problem with it. It's the same. I, I imagine, you know, I haven't done the tests, but I imagine it's the same thing. If you put these goggles on when you're a kid and it's just part of the way that people play games or do anything else, um, I doubt it's going to be a problem. Well, from what I've been able to glean, it seems like there's definitely a habituation effect here. And so my impression is that basically the amount of sickness you get from using a device like this is proportional to the amount of time you've, or I guess inversely proportional to the amount of time you've invested in experiencing these devices. So that's basically what I said. Yeah. Right. And basically what you said. Now, I still agree with you that it's not going to take off because it's a large expense for an experience that is very novel. Um, and it would need to have some sort of, like like everything else, it would need some sort of killer app that was so killer that people were willing to experience it without other people because it's, I mean, I know they could link up and all that, but for the most part, you use the thing and you're the only one using it. Other people don't really see what you're seeing in a, in a traditional or, or common environment, right? Like not everybody has extra monitors for people to be looking at what they're doing. Not to mention with the rift because of the two screen thing, it gets really awkward to understand what someone's seeing through it if you're not wearing them yourself. So it's like, there's, there's no chance this is going to take off except as a niche device. No chance whatsoever. I would say niche and then like special audience. Like we were talking about Google Glass being good for surgery. This could potentially be good for surgery, especially uh, like telesurgery um, once that becomes possible with better robots and whatever. But, uh, but wide, wide stream, wide acceptance, no chance in hell. I wish yeah, so it would, but it won't. I'm kind of, I'm kind of feeling like it, Maybe this thing, it really needs like five more years for and, – and not that like we shouldn't develop VR type stuff until five years later. But it seems to be more like this kind of thing has to be just existing, I, I guess, as a niche for a while for people to get accustomed to it much, much in the same way. Here's another analogy, right? It's like um, – Oh, this is good. It's like film editing or video editing. Why? Do you can you tell where I'm going to go with this? Uh, not it's, really. This this is a really interesting phenomenon if you if you study how um I don't I don't know what the technical term for it is. If it's cinematography or basically the the way films have been edited from like the first films in the early 1900s to today. Um, there's a definite progression, and what I'm talking about is basically the the composition of the cuts in terms of uh, what, like, where's the camera from one cut to another? How big of a jump does it make? Uh, like, how much does it turn in between cuts? And how frequently does it cut? And how how much does the audience sensation of persistence jibe with that? Because the really interesting thing is that they found out that. In, in early film, uh, people couldn't take a lot of heavy cuts, a lot of drastic cuts before getting disoriented. And it seems like the more and more film develops, the older film gets as media, the more easily filmmakers can get away with more and more drastic cuts without the audience getting disoriented. Yeah, I buy that. I do because I mean we're we're constantly consuming video material, right? I mean, yeah. mostly television, but um, we're constantly sucking that stuff up. And like the whole shaky cam concept, and um, those really quick cuts, like you see in commercials, where you see maybe half a second of something and then something else. Uh, definitely, I think over. over I, I basically, I'm saying I believe you over time. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because like filmmakers have had these rules, like they have like the whole like 180 degree rule, you know, or like if you have a bunch of people in a scene, there's this wherever the camera starts out initially, um, you there's this imaginary 180 degree line that's basically like laterally comes out from the camera imaginarily, right? And what, like what you don't want to do 
is turn that camera all the way around because the viewer is not going to have a good enough frame of reference. They'll get confused. But it seems like those rules have just been like gradually loosening and loosening and the cameras are making uh, not just the MTV style of like cut, 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 but the style of like going from one position to another uh, and that jump being uh, less contiguous every time while we're still able to uh, keep our bearings on like, okay, well, what are we looking at now and where we are in the scene and stuff like that. Yeah. And so I want to bring this back to Oculus Rift and I'm, so I'm trying to think of what could lead to its success and I'm really, I think the Facebook thing, I don't think it necessarily will bring success, but I think it's probably the only chance it has for widespread. Like, I, it's yeah, and that's why I think it's so it's, great. It's not because... games that are going to do it, right? It's some some real world application, which I think, by the way, will start with someone building a camera that is. I mean, there's already some motorized webcams, but we need a, like a popular motorized webcam. Well, well, look, if you don't, even in the absence of any of that, right, you can make a product successful by throwing enough money at it, and that is the Zuckerberg advantage. Well, you still need to have give people a reason to buy it. Like, no matter how much they're paying to develop. If someone's going to pay three or four hundred dollars for this device, it's going to need to have some utility. And like, so if I have a, ca- a motorized camera and you're wearing a headset that can control that camera, um, you know, from far away by just moving your head around, um, that's useful. So that you can sit in a conference and look at everybody in the conference. Um, that's that's a real use. Although it's still not a common use, right? Like you and I wouldn't really use that. But it, yeah, that'd be pretty creepy yeah. for conference. But calls. for Facebook, like. I mean, there's enough social stuff. And anyway, I don't want to speculate anymore. It's the end know. of the show. We got to go anyway. But um, Facebook is probably the only chance it has to reach widespread success. So, you know, if you liked it in the beginning, you should be really excited now. Yeah. Well, I only think they do just because uh, they're throwing unprecedented yeah. money. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. But that, that's just me. Anyway, I uh, thank everyone once again for listening to the show. Don't forget, our Facebook page is where you can communicate with us, with or without an Oculus Rift, and we'll be back next week. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.